0: This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The opinions expressed in this episode are not to be construed as medical advice.
1: Welcome to Demystify Beauty, a weekly podcast about creating transparency in the beauty space. I'm Mackenzie Westmore.
0: And I'm Dr. Paul Nassif.
1: How are you?
0: What's going on? I haven't seen you since, you know, God, it's been a while.
1: It has been a while. And, and I'm
0: excited <laughs> because... Listen, I hear about this famous icon, your dad. And so it's exciting that we're gonna to get to hear more about this because it's interesting. I've been on, you know, some sets before with some celebrity friends of mine, and I watch some of the makeup and all the weird, crazy stuff they do. Right. And so this is very, very interesting. So I'm excited about this.
1: No, it is very interesting. I agree, and I'm personally excited because it's you know, it's it's my dad and it, he's my hero and I'm a daddy's girl. So just letting you know now, I'm so thrilled that that my dad is going to join us because this is where I think he's going to have a great take on the combination and where where Hollywood and makeup meets plastic surgery and everything in the beauty space. So let's introduce my dad, Michael Westmore. Hi, Dad.
2: Hi. How are you?
1: Good. Thank you for joining Hi, dad. us. <laughs> Hi, Sand. Every call, him Dad. <laughs> You've now been adopted, Dr. Nassif.
0: <laughs> that sounds good. I don't have my dad anymore, so it's nice to have another dad. (laughs)
1: Well, now you do. Now you do. (laughs) So, Dad, why don't you just jump right in? I would love for you to discuss, you know, your beginnings and and the family's lineage, because there is so much rich history here that will tie back into everything Demystify Beauty.
2: My family history goes back quite a ways. My grandfather in the late 1800s was a wig maker, and he went to the Boer War in 1900, actually, and was Winston Churchill's barber. And then he left, he, he had a wig shop after the war, after the Boer war, war, he came back to England and he had a beauty shop where he made wigs, uh, and not so much a beauty shop because the, the skincare and makeup wasn't uh, as big then. Mm-hmm. So in 1906, 1906, he moved to America. My grandmother came the year after with the boys who were the, uh, the famous Westmores through the golden ages of Hollywood. And 1917, he opened up a wig shop. Uh, down in the Hollywood area, and uh, finally come around the nineteen hundred, he talked Clara Bow into letting him do her do her makeup, and he uh, it all worked out that because uh, everybody was doing themselves and changing, you know, putting mustaches on upside down, whatever. Marlon Brando, <laughs> and he was he wanted to take care of his own mustaches, Then they were. They went up and down and short and long. Uh, I was uh, the ugly American, it was called. So grandfather then brought. The boys in my dad, my uncle Purse, my uncle Ern, Wally, Bud, Frank, and they were each one of them ran a major studio. Then they went into the talkies, which is interesting because it was up to silent films, much uh, closer to uh, that period. My father was known for I say for each one of them, I'll give you a, just a, a movie as such. My father did Gone with the Wind. Well, Uncle Perk, oh my God. Did the Hunchback of Notre right? Dame, oh, did a goodness. movie called Cimarron, and he was the first one to win a trophy for makeup. And it was, he it did old died. age makeup that were all done with grease. And then there was Wally, who did uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame, not Hunchback, um, uh, Jekyll and Hyde. And then Frank did Ten Commandments. So each one of them, through their careers, at least did one big movie. And there's probably including the third generation, or my two brothers and myself, the six of us, seven of us, eight of us did a couple thousand films that we have screen credit on. So we've been in Hollywood, you know, a long time. Little by little it all, you know, passed on and third generation, Mott Ma- and Marvin and myself carried on. And uh, I've had a very lucky career starting I want to say starting with Rocky. I was at Universal, but that's what really kind of launched me into uh, recognition between that and Raging Bull, and I won an Oscar for Mask. And I love doing television, so I have 42 Emmy nominations and uh, nine trophies. I've been busy, but I actually enjoyed, I want to say, the creating of it, not so much thinking of winning something and putting something on the shelf, but just uh, creating and designing, of which I was probably the luckiest person in the world to wind up on Star Trek for 18 years.
0: Yeah. Oh my goodness! Aliens.
2: I had to have a new alien or more designed for every show, and there were 600 and some episodes between 1987 and 2005. So then I, I basically retired from carrying a box to the set, but just <laughs> I've enjoyed lecturing. I've been lecturing on cruise ships. Tomorrow, in fact, I'm uh, introducing the movie Doctor Jekyll and Mr Hyde at the Ted Turner classic film festival in Hollywood. And that kind of scares me because I wasn't there and I had to learn things of what my uncle Wally actually did for the film. And he was only 25 years old when he went into Paramount Studios and took it over for
0: the next 40 years. I got a question for you. I'm a little confused on something. Your father and how many brothers were six of them total? There were. Yeah, Actually, my grandmother had 18 kids but only my dad and uh, purse, earned Wally, Frank, and Bud, five of them. So I got to tell you, that's a record right there, 18 kids. Right? <laughs> yeah. My God, that sounds like a Guinness Book of yes. World Records. Jeez.
2: <laughs> but we have just as many wives, though, to go with each one of
0: them. <laughs> there you go. So now with that, then from the second generation after that, how many of you, from your dad and his brothers, how many of the kids... Went into doing what you do. As far
2: as makeup goes, in the third generation, there's my brother. There's three of us, Mont Marvin and myself. And then there's a fourth generation with Marvin's kids mainly, which I, I, I just heard one of them recently about my Uncle Bud's boy wanted to go into makeup and Uncle Wally's boy. Wa- the uncles didn't want them to go into makeup, so they never did. So we're the only three in third generation. Wow. Are you still doing it actively? No, it's actually, you know, between all those wonderful things you get at 85, having to do with your eyes, hands and everything else, I talk and I learn. I'm just, as I mentioned, I've got this wonderful lecture and a screening of a newly adapted version of a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde with the oh eight minutes God. that were cut out of it in the 30s. The, the It was called The Producer's Code. Where it took all the sex out of it, so eight minutes of sex was taken out of the original. And it isn't, isn't Doctor Jekyll, Doctor Jekyll, of which huh, it surprised because I was watching the movie and calling him Doctor Jekyll. So it's, I bet half the audience there, more of them, won't know that fact tomorrow.
1: So, Dad, I want to dive into a little more of the the Hollywood side really quick before right. we mesh worlds. I know you get asked this a lot. I think I've asked it to you before, and you're always like, "Oh, why are you asking me this?" But who was your favorite person and your least favorite person to ever work with?
2: (laughs) I love that. You know, my favorite person, I think, was Elizabeth Taylor. She treated me like a son or a brother. She lived across the. She grew up across the street from my uncle Wally, so my cousin and she grew up together and were very good friends. So I had to go on an interview. They called me to for an interview with Elizabeth to see if you know she liked me and would things work. So I drove over to her house and. It was Beverly Hills of Brentwood. And we sat down and we talked for a few minutes. And the next thing she's saying, okay, I'll see you tomorrow morning. You know, it was, uh, and then I stayed with her for a while. But she treated absolutely everybody from it would be the president of the United States on down to somebody getting her a cup of coffee. Exactly alike. Yeah. Beautiful.
1: She was amazing. We
2: were working on a film one day and she says, what do you want for lunch? She says, I know let's get chasings from Chile and I'll chop an onion up until he gets here. She was that type of a person. She just loved doing wow. things herself. And she's such a respected lady.
1: Okay. So, really quick, Dad, what color were her eyes for real? Mm. You know, and I
2: actually looked into it. It's hard to say. There is, it's, I don't know, like brightish blue. There may be a hint of uh, purple in them, but you know, colors that we, mm. we wear reflect into the eyes. And this is what my dad used on uh, Gone with the Wind, where, um, she was wearing green most of the time. And so everybody kept saying her eyes were green, and they weren't.
1: She had hazel eyes, Vivian Lee. Yeah. So who was your least favorite to work with?
2: <laughs> well.
1: He hates when I ask this. Oh, there we go.
2: <laughs> I want to say. Uh,
1: I think I know one.
2: Betty Davis.
1: Yeah, Betty I knew Davis.
2: it. In fact, I got to the point where I didn't even want to work with her anymore. So I told my wife as she calls, tell her I'm out of this country or something. <laughs> so when I was on Star Trek, Marion would call me and say, guess who called? And I'd say, would you tell her, you know, no, you're you're not available. You're gone. The whole thing wound up. I had she went on a talk show the last time I worked with her. She went on a talk show and it was with Brian Gumble, And he was asking her questions about a new book her daughter just wrote. And she kept saying that damn daughter of mine. No, the daughter wrote the book. That damn daughter of mine hit asked her a question. Well, Betty, you just won this giant award. And what about that? Nah, that damn daughter of mine. So, oh my God. When it was over with, <laughs> Brian came up to me and he says, did you understand the show? And I said, no, not at all. He said, well, I'm never going to interview her again. And I said to him, if you're not going to interview her again, I won't do her makeup again. And we shook hands
0: on <laughs> it. And neither of us have. That is crazy. Was it just she was difficult to work with?
2: Just I want to say going on in the years. Falling apart or something well wait really uh,
1: quick because this hold on dad the story i remember you telling was that same interview you did her makeup and she looked in the mirror and she's like that's not how i was supposed to look and didn't she
2: you the story mackenzie's talking about and i actually did this on the cruise ship one time was (laughs) that benny looked in the mirror after i had her all done and she had had her stroke so i had her eyebrows balanced out and everything and the lipstick and rouge and and she looked into the mirror And she liked to get made up in this dark room in her house, which was a pain because she had a beautiful sun torch right outside. Took a black pencil and made Bozo the Clown things on on one of the eyebrows. And I'm going, oh, Oh, my God. And I said, well, which one of those rings do you want? You know, she says, you pick them out. So I had to take away two of the rings. And then I added this other one on the other side. And she goes, that's right. She's literally doing a makeup from the 40s. 30s and 40s oh. on herself. Oh, no. And then she always says, I don't have enough color. I want more rouge. So I gave her the rouge pot and she scrubbed on the rouge pot and she went, like, this is baby Jane. She's making herself up like baby Jane. Oh and she goes, God. Yeah, Oh, my that's God. perfect. I like it like that. Then me, and I was oh, getting no. <laughs> getting overscale money for this, and, and she was basically in a wheelchair. And I'm pushing her in to the television station and everything. And I can just imagine everybody looking at her. I'm trying to hide under, you know, uh, hide behind the cameras and everything. But that was the last time I there, and that was it. Just it's it wasn't fun. Now you said two. You
0: said two. There was uh, I one more you I were going to say.
1: <laughs> I know who it is. But yeah, yeah. Uh, it's in
2: my book. And in 2017, I wrote my memoirs, and I did put it in the book. Things like Betty and him. Uh, I'll give you that clue. I had to rewrite things, and I, as, as vicious as I was in the beginning, I, I had to tone it down.
1: <laughs> oh, but that's why I love you, Dad. <laughs> you tell it like it is. So, I want to bring it, the worlds together now because. Doctor Nassif, you mean you, you cross paths with my dad in the waiting room, but he was there through my whole surgery and everything that I went through. But dad, what after seeing me go through everything I went through, what is your take on plastic surgery, Hollywood? You know how how do you feel about how the worlds have combined, and do you think it's for the better for the worse? Like, what what is your take on it? I
2: I think plastic surgery is fantastic. Um, I don't know if uh, Doctor Dr. Nassif knows this. My brother and I had a salon. In uh, on Wilshire Boulevard where we did post-operative makeup for plastic surgeons. Dr. Ashley, if you remember or knew who he was, he was the uh, plastic surgeon to the stars that uh, literally was able to do four women at one time. He had some really good men working with him at the time and it was an amazing operation that he had going. But he asked me to do a lecture at one of the plastic surgery conventions and I did. And after that, I literally took care of some of his plastic surgery patients at the studios because there was bruising going on and uh, redness and uh, some of the. I remember one woman who's bruising when she had her face done. It went all the way down her chest into her breast, which was amazing. And woman the wanted chest covered yeah. up. So my mm-hmm. brother and I, using studio colors that we've used for correcting problems uh, on skin, we opened a little shop, as I said, on Wilshire Boulevard, and we started going to the plastic surgeons' conventions. And lecturing there and meeting the doctors and built a business where they were sending their patients to us. And there was a doctor going who used to send us a lot of patients. It's like he, he, he included in his uh, in the part of the operation. We built ourselves to the point where we should have gone into product color and uh, selling these products. Mm. because doctors were saw what we were doing and started having their nurses setting up little things in their businesses and had their nurses doing the makeup. So we kind of got out of it. Besides, I wound up getting a little film called Rocky. And after I finished Rocky, I didn't want to go back into that. So my brother Marvin kept that going. I went back into film at that point. But there's a real combination of beauty with Cosmetics, especially for post-op in uh, surgery, because there always seems to be something that doesn't go away overnight, but can be taken care of. As soon as the doctor says you're healed, stitches are out and everything, go ahead and cover it up. And there are so many different combinations. I said we were using, I want to say, the beginnings of corrective coloring to color up all the Hmm. uh, problems we had going. There's so many things on the market now that it's actually mesmerizing. I don't know if there's any yeah. artists that are still exclusively working with plastic surgeon patients or not, but it's just overwhelming. The number of colors, the yellows that can do away with redness the and bruising. green is actually there's, these are the actually skin tones that have been used in paintings for years. And I started doing this at one point. I looked at a Rockefeller book, big post book that he did of post covers. And I took a giant magnifying glass and started looking at the skin tones. And I started seeing colors in there that we just didn't have in makeup. And I had colors made up. So when I was doing horror movies or old age makeups especially, that I started using all these little colors in them. Today, these kits that come, and it'll be an old age kit and all these different colors of mauve and grays and things like that that you can find in the skin the makeup artists are using today. But as, as I said, as far as the combination of makeup and plastic surgery, I mean, it's a natural because almost every woman in the world, the reason why she went for the surgery is to look better. And the makeup is like the the cherry on top of the sundae. <laughs> and I think every time somebody would That's come a in and make over like that, they were thrilled. They were a whole new person because when you see some of the befores on them, They had just let themselves go and, you know, they were depressed and everything. It was lovely to see them really, the personalities change when the the doctors have finished their work and the makeup artist and the hairdresser look great. My Uncle Purse had a show on television years ago where they used to take a woman out of the audience. Of course, they didn't have the surgery, but just to do the makeup and hair would totally change the lives of some of them.
1: To do, do a makeup. I mean, Dr. Nassif, I'm, I know you see that. You, you saw it in me. I'm sure you see it in many people. You see the personalities change once you've done your magic as, as a surgeon.
0: You know, I'll tell you one thing after listening to this, and I empathize with everything uh, your dad's saying here. And the first step, usually when these patients come in that you were talking about from the old days before surgery, they were really making all the difference in the world, especially mm-hmm. you take someone who recently got divorced, lost their job, had some family issue. Just doing this really brought them out. And and again, over the years, finally it took place where a lot of the folks, especially the ladies, weren't embarrassed to say they had plastic surgery. And it does transform their lives like we've seen on my show, Botched.
2: Yes. And Mary and I are big fans of the show. We've seen them all.
0: (laughs) We all are. I love hearing that. Thank you. And um, I've noticed that when you take someone and you can fix something on the face, But then when you, the icing on the cake, when you make their skin look better, it really does so much, you know, with a little bit of makeup, of course, without overdoing it and, you know, caking it on looking natural and beautiful, it accents so much. And when we talk about the bruising, as you were saying, you know, especially for a facelift and you have a little bit of bleeding underneath the skin and the neck. Yeah. That's really a dark purple, but then as it settles down in the lower, lower Mm -hmm. neck and upper chest how it turns the green colors, then the yellow colors. And to actually take that face mm-hmm. and do what you guys do, of blend it in. And it's interesting, there are people that do that now, but I did not know that it started years ago mm-hmm. when you guys were doing post-operative makeup. By the way, what year was that that you first started doing the post-operative makeup? In the 70s, early 70s. Jeez. Wow. Yeah over 50 years ago
1: that is just insane
0: and that's interesting you know we didn't we didn't do it I mean now they're doing their permanent makeup scar camouflage and all that stuff but it's interesting after all this time that 50 years later they're still doing it and it really hasn't changed much mm-hmm. in regards to what you were doing back then.
1: Now, I want to jump back really quick to one thing that does tie into plastic surgery. But, Dad, I've always wanted to ask you this, and I've never even asked. But from your knowledge and working with Michael Jackson, that's a big one. He was a big one. And you were you were up close and personal with him. You were right in his face. In fact, by the way, to this day, I still hold a grudge that you took Michelle over there to see Bubbles, and I never got to go. Just saying. That's right. <laughs> What's your question? Just what was your experience with Michael Jackson, and and was that... I mean, you were there through some of the plastic surgery that he went through. I mean, did you see the, the time when he was getting a little out of control with things? I mean, what was your take on that? Because I always found no, him No, so my, fascinating. Any,
2: any time I had with Michael, he was wonderful. And the reason why I got called in, and another friend of mine, Ziggy, who was a wig maker, was that Michael lived on Havenhurst in Encino. And he yeah. could not leave his house. Across the street, people lined the, the wall over there and... Uh, so Michael had a little VW car and he wanted disguises. So between Ziggy and myself, we built I built some noses and uh, I was actually and as far as teeth go, I was trained by John Chambers, who was the man that got the Oscar for Planet of the Apes. John was a dental technician before he came, became a makeup artist. Mm. and the, he taught me how to make teeth. So I actually I made all the teeth for the Klingons in Star Trek for 18 years. I made different kinds of teeth and different noses for Michael. And then Ziggy made all these different wigs for him and things. So he could jump in his little VW, drive out the front gate, and people thought it was somebody else. Wow. Just, I mean, he was a gentleman, a wonderful guy to deal with. And I got to see his zoo and his candy store and everything at the house. I didn't see any side to him except, you know, a really wonderful side.
1: That's amazing. I I just I always wanted to to know that side of things. And were there any other celebrities that you worked with that you felt? I mean, obviously, maybe nobody that's around right now. I don't know. But anybody that you worked with that, how do I put this kindly, (laughs) was so obvious (laughs) with their plastic surgery, but was not vocal about it. It's probably in your book. Uh, which by the way is the makeup man
2: <laughs> no I don't yeah there were but I don't think I really I didn't put it in my book it wasn't I mean I you could tell from the scars behind the ears or somewhere right. in, or somewhere in the back of the little scar in the back of the neck where the neck was pulled back and things so I mean I knew where all the scars were hidden because Marvin and I had to deal with <laughs> so many of the ladies in our uh, little shop where we helped them I don't think it was as popular when I when he first started doing the makeup it hasn't grown to where it is today, where it's so acceptable. I mean, where people come yep, right out right. of surgery and call all our friends to show them the bandage or something.
1: <laughs> Go right on Instagram.
2: <laughs> it's not a big deal. I think it's in, in some people that I've seen where you see the before and you see what the doctors have done afterwards. And it's like, like myself. I had my eyes done uh, many years ago. And I had this eye was literally drooped for minusenia gravis. And it was all pulled up and Mm. Marion had her under eyes. She had a family history of bags or females on her side of the family. She went and had it done. And it was like, you feel so good when it's done and you you can turn Mm. around and look in the mirror and just, you see the total face change on people. Very good friend of mine, Bob Barron, who was uh, literally the man that was the disguise man for the CIA that traveled the world. And we're friends now. Bob and I are still friends. And Dr. Nasdaq met him. Yep. But people that Bob helps, and mainly children Great that guy. had deformed yeah. ears or lost their ears, and to see some yeah. of the movies and things they the, the photograph when yes. Bob's doing that, and to see this look on anybody's face when they look in the mirror, that, oh, my God, I've got an ear. And one guy wanted ears done yeah. just because so, he wanted to wear glasses and he had nowhere to hang them. But it's the same way as what, what the results that Bob were doing is what Dr. Nassoff does and the other plastic surgeon, is they just give people back not only an inner feeling, but being able to walk out outside and feel better and more confident in themselves. I, I think it's wonderful, all the results that you see from the surgery.
0: It's interesting, after hearing these stories, and you know we're learning about really how things were back when you were doing it, but Mackenzie, let's talk about her for a second okay <laughs> when do you remember her getting interested in following your footsteps even though but mackenzie correct me for a while you never did tv makeup at all no so how did all this get started you know from the both of you i'd love to hear that they didn't know it until she when she was no older. and that's that's a funny well, thing yeah, i'll oh. I'll
1: tell the story because my dad didn't know this until i got older yeah but i remember there was an article that came out on my my father dr Nassif. Uh, where they called my dad the last of the living dinosaurs. It was the cover of LA Times. And my dad was the last one to do Mm. the sketching, run the rubber, run the foam, do the application. Now it's very compartmentalized in the makeup world where you you have somebody that will sketch it out, you have somebody that runs the lab, and then you have somebody else that does the makeup on set. So I was a teenager and I remember seeing this article come out of my dad and my heart broke. And I'm looking at my dad and I'm looking at the family history. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking, I can't let this history die. I gotta figure out how to carry this on. I didn't know how. I knew I wanted to be an actress. I was singing, I was dancing, I was going to high school for a performing arts high school. And I started to take makeup classes actually. I did start to learn the trade. I did take, I mean, I could turn myself into a man like nobody's business. I could lay a hair lace wig. I mean, I mean a hair beard, and I learned how to Jeez. do all that. But I I never really It never really grabbed me. And one day I did go to my dad and I said, I I feel bad that I'm not carrying on the family's legacy. And dad, I remember you telling me, don't feel bad. You follow your dream, follow your heart. My dad and my mom always supported me in becoming an actress. So then I got passions and I thought, well, maybe this is how I'm going to carry the family name on. And you know, it did, it was, but Mm -hmm. then that went down and then dad and I worked on face off together and that's really when it clicked in my head of, okay, passions went down without any notification. I'm on a makeup show with a makeup dad, with a makeup family. Why am I not starting a makeup line at this point? And that was the birth of Westmore Beauty for me. And this is Westmore Beauty is really where I feel it's carrying on the Westmore lineage. And, and this is really for my dad. Everything of Westmore Beauty is for my dad.
0: When did that start? When did you open up your line?
1: Gosh, about eight, nine years ago. But my dad had a line way before that. So that was also an inspiration to me. A lot of what he did in his own cosmetic company. Because interestingly, Dr. Nassif, I don't know if you know this, but my dad launched, I think, on Home Shopping Network, Dad? Yes. Yeah, on HSN. And the day he launched was the exact same day Princess Diana died.
0: Oh, my God. How. Funny. So as
1: you know, with home shopping-
0: It didn't help sales.
1: <laughs> sales were- I was his model. Oh, for Home Shopping Network. And I'll never forget us going back oh, to the hotel God, room going, oh that. my God, this is this is horrible. This is the end you of know, it. You know,
2: what was interesting though, is that we went for three days selling. And for the first two days, I had a hostess with me <laughs> that didn't give me really much time to explain what the hell we were doing. She just kept talking and talking and talking. <laughs> Finally, the third day, something happened where she couldn't come and you went with me. And you became my hostess, and we sold more makeup that day than the other two.
1: Yeah, <laughs> because I let you talk.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you, so basically, you've been in this whole home shopping, TV shopping, Mackenzie um, for a long time. Yeah. And then with, with Dad, uh, you started doing it, right? Do you remember how long ago was that?
1: That would have been well. What year did Diana die? I think she died in ninety seven, nineteen ninety seven. Yeah. So oh I mean yeah, so it's you been figure I a long
0: I mean, time. That's right. It's been a
1: long time of for me, especially like being in the home shopping world and now transitioning over to QVC eight, nine years ago. But it's it's been a, it's been fascinating to watch my dad throughout all this and, and to see all this go on.
0: I get to it's interesting when we hear this, you know, because you have everyone out there doesn't really know about Hollywood, how it started. Especially you guys, correct me if I'm wrong, but Mike, where were you born? Were you born in Los Angeles? Yes, in Hollywood. What hospital were you born in? <laughs> it could have been Hollywood Presbyterian. Isn't that yeah. funny? Hollywood Press, yep, because I grew up in Los oh. Feliz, Hollywood, we and go. I was um, born Valley. in Good Sam, Good, Samar- good Samaritan. Yeah. You're an Angelian too, Mackenzie. Yeah,
1: Valley Presbyterian. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so it's rare that we have all of this, you know. You know, when when you were doing your makeup and stuff, when it came to plastic surgery and beauty... One of those beautiful actresses did have something done by some of the famed plastic surgeons. Obviously, they were hiding it at the time, correct? hmm And no one wanted to mention they had a facelift to their eyes done. None of it was ever public, was it?
2: It was like a big secret. All of a sudden, you took 20 years off your life, and how the hell did you do it, you know? Yeah. It just because there was, there was always some way to, to disguise uh, with hair in particular. Any of the uh, surgery around the forehead, the front of the ears, uh, you know, the minute was not a problem, but I would assume that they just kept hidden for a few weeks, but then we had, we had makeup that we could uh, disguise it with then.
0: You know, it's interesting with the makeup then on that, forgetting about plastic surgery for a minute, but I have a lot of patients that will come in with dark circles mm-hmm. underneath their eyes. And those dark circles, you can't really treat them with a laser. Sometimes it's due to hollowness or they just have the pigment in their skin. Mm -hmm. When the patients or my customers are here and they put makeup on, usually it looks not great. So, are there some, for some basic things, are there some easy tips for makeup application that you can give some advice to our wonderful listeners?
2: Well, you know, and applying things around the eyes. And at first, I know they had little sponges that came with them and putting the sponges off, but the warmth of your hand and having a cover color that has now in the olden days, in fact, they probably still have it in some of the newer things, castor oil, because castor oil has a stickiness to it yes. that will blend out. But it's a matter of padding around the eye, like your product, Mackenzie, that you mm-hmm. have. Shadow at Shadow edit. Yeah, the shadow, but sure. it's being able to pat it in there and blending out those edges a little bit with your color. Can't you put base over the top of it?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and that's it. Was designed for that. It was designed yeah. for dark circles. It it edits shadows, and because yeah,
2: you block out the even even with the bruising and things like that. it, it, yeah. it will work. Yeah, but it's usually the warmth of the fingers, and by patting these things and getting away from them, no powder. You know, as soon as you put powder in it. It starts to try yeah. to it gets, gets creepy around it. It's simple to do and it's quick to do, and it's not something that needs to be played with or not. You don't you know this this isn't going to get it on or doing this. It's at stippling.
1: No, you find the fingers actually help the dark circles better than a brush.
2: Well, the the reason why I like to use my fingers is because my fingers are warm.
1: Ah, okay.
2: I could put it on with a brush to begin with to maybe take the brush and get it painted on as far as
0: taking it and smoothing it out. The
1: warmth, yeah.
0: yeah. Hey, Mackenzie, for example, I'd never been a big fan of a lot of makeup on anyone. I like more that natural look with some accents of makeup on. Right. Especially, you know, when they have great facial features. And, you know, my wife, Brittany, in the beginning when I first met her, you know, a little bit heavy makeup. And then, interesting, you know, after we talked about it, she's gone less and less makeup because she's a beautiful woman. To me, less is more. But now, for someone like you, Of course, you have a gorgeous face, and your makeup, you put on your face, since, again, your face is the face of, you know, Westmore Beauty. Right. Do you consider yourself putting on a light coat of makeup, a medium, or a heavy coat of makeup? And I don't know if I'm using the right words. No, you are. Yeah, but you know.
1: No, you definitely are. It's, it's you know, the level of coverage. I find it's, it for me, it all depends. I'm very much like Brittany, where I've gotten to be less and less and less, especially since you know, we went down our journey, Dr. Nassif, it has become a, a matter of, for me, things like my shadow edit, because I do have dark circles. And, and as I, as everybody in your office has told me, there's nothing that can be done for that. So things like shadow edit have been my absolute go-to. And that's one of those products where I'll just dab it on because you don't need to chase it with other makeup. So you can spot use it and on any skin tone and it blends right in. So products like that, I prefer a very light layer. You know, um, for me, I do have a preference towards less is more. I always like to play up my Mm -hmm. eyes because uh, that's that's a feature that I like to play up. But I do prefer the less coverage. It's just more comfortable. And that's always been my thing with Westmore Beauty. And this is why a lot of men like to use it is because it doesn't look like makeup, but it gets the job done.
0: Westmore, where less is more. Very good. There you go. Hey. I like that. I'm going to write that down fast. (laughs) Okay, so let me ask ask you about red. Mm. Patients come in with rosacea. Rosacea is more of an adult onset of acne where the sebaceous units of the uh, skin become vascular and you get all these little blood vessels, chin, cheeks, nose, and maybe a little bit here. And then they get these broken blood vessels all over the nose, especially the corners. Yeah. Now, again, how do you treat the nose with that red? Again, without... Laying it on too deep. Well, you have to cover.
2: Whether you take a little brush and 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 go over the uh, the red areas, uh, the green areas, um, and go over it with your foundation. But you're it might be a little heavier on the nose to be able to cover it. But then the idea is not to, not to keep going with that with the heavy makeup is to start right. to thin it out a bit and we've had to do that of course we use pan stick in the studios and we were able to get away with making it a little thicker but again it's a matter of just thinning it out when you get into nice clean skin it does work and i you know i've seen it seen it a ton
1: now, Dad, didn't you use different uh, colors? I, I know certain colors will cancel out colors, like Dr. Nassif is saying. Yeah. What was the color that you'd use to, to cancel out red in your in your time? What was the color you would use to cancel out bruising? What are the different colors that help cancel out these things?
2: The main color that put out was, I want to say, baby poop yellow. It was, uh, wasn't bright yellow. yellow. Was, you know, it was a... A yellow that had a touch of brown to it. Uh, I mean, a huh. minute touch, but it's the yellow that cancels out the red on it. And I know on the uh, when things start getting green and blue, uh, sometimes had to put a, a, a more of an orangey, not red, but an orangey oh. color. I had on, on Robert De Niro on Raging Bull. Oh, boy. What a he movie! Had a, a panther from his shoulder to his elbow. And I had to cover that with, uh, with an orange, literally an orangey base and then put makeup over the top of it. But when you see, he could have walked on the street and you wouldn't have known. Because the thing is, after it was applied, I would maybe pat it with a little oil or something just to give the skin a shine. And that's Glisten. the thing is when you put mm-hmm. that stuff on, the makeup, that you don't want to leave it, powder it and walk away because it's flat. Uh, if you do powder it, you could take a little sponge and take off any excess powder. You have to put life back into it again. And then it uh, mm. pretty well disguises
0: everything. I like that um you just told us something, of course, a new pearl, a new tidbit of information that none of us knew before is that De Niro has a large <laughs> tat of a panther... <laughs> all the way down you said from his shoulder down to his yeah, elbow yeah you know one of those a, a panther one of those
2: ones that's hanging on to you
0: <laughs> so why would understand that why did he i do have that? no
2: idea it goes right back and of course i didn't know it until we did raging bull you know and it's like oh
0: god and the so, first time
2: i saw it i'm going oh shit
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so you didn't ask him so that's another question i'm going to ask you about celebrities you dealt with some of these biggest celebrities back then in the world. A lot of them are still huge celebrities. Some have passed away. In general, correct me if I'm wrong, the bigger the movie star, and maybe I'm wrong, besides like you mentioning Betty Davis, are they nicer the bigger they are? Well, it, I would say no. <laughs>
2: <Because> <laughs> okay. A, a, a All right. Charm. Wonderful. And then you're right into Betty Davis, who's a monster. My Uncle Purse did her for 32 of her films or something, and he used to make her up when she was naked. And uh, one time she uh, she said to me, because she was mad at me, she said, well, you're not like your Uncle Purse. And all I can say is thank God. I hope she keeps her clothes on, you know. <laughs> it depends on the person. It depends on the, it depends how they grown It There's so much to it. Some of them are total gems, and other ones can... I tell you, the ones that don't get a chance to work on the stage, when actors have a stage background, they've learned to work with people and be with people. Yeah. Ones that come right out of acting school, I want to be a movie star, they can wind up with little quirks to their personality. That's very true. Yeah. And those quirks can go from just a little bit of stupidness to a total jerk. How was De Niro and how was Stallone to work with? sly came well we had so much fun together it's like the person you you see now was kind of like a mature person that he grew into with me again we were we were really close on the set from the first day rocky started and we were in philadelphia and uh, his wife at that time and his big dog butkus was there with us we had a little teeny trailer and it was like he, Sly had some music on going and stuff, and we it was like the the four of us busted out of his trailer going yeah you know, and I was I was with Sly for eight years, and it, uh, I would say every ever all the way through, we were really I mean say close and understandable. I knew how he worked and he had, uh, you know vice versa. Uh, De Niro was much more quiet. It wasn't where he had his friends. Uh, he respected me uh, for my talent, what I was doing for him. And he trusted me when we were like putting his noses on for Raging bowl, I took the barber chair and I would crank it all the way back and he'd go to sleep while I did it. And it was nice. It was like working a doctor, working on, on an operation with my <laughs> brushes, leaning over the chair and putting and gluing the rubber down and making them all up. And then I'd wake him up and it was time, time to go to work. And then standing by with him all day long and just keeping him touched up. But he was very busy. He had such a closeness with Scorsese and with Joe Pesci. And he does things, they would do scenes over and over. So we're not worrying about his social life going on. Hmm. My social time with him would be making him up if if he was awake or during the tests coming to the house. You know, when uh, we, we were training for Raging Bull. He kept coming over at one point and he was playing with Mackenzie as we did all the makeup tests at our house in uh, Studio City. And all of a sudden, one day he goes, I'm thinking about having, he went to Mary and, uh, you know, using Mackenzie in the movie as my daughter. And that's how she got her card in SAG. Mackenzie played his daughter in Raging Bull. Wait a minute. Did I know that?
0: Did you tell me? We yeah, did, yeah. Did tell me yeah, if you did
1: me that. If you go back and watch the movie and you see the, the little girl that's next to the pool... <laughs> So, yeah, that's how I got my SAG card.
0: Yeah. Oh, my God, how funny.
1: So, thank you, Dad.
0: (laughs) At the end of the night,
2: I'd clean up Robert, and and, uh, he, he had his nose on and things. He would get a shower and wash his hair, and we would get in the car or the bus, and we would be driving downtown Manhattan, and he would say, let me out here. And he's such a chameleon that he could, with his hair all messed up and everything, he could jump out of that car and walk into the crowds in the on the sidewalks of New York and nobody would turn around and go, Oh, there's Robert De Niro. He would totally huh. disappear. So it's wow. like uh, our social lives didn't. I was sly, we were a little bit more punching together. And I don't know how many times I got punched in <laughs> Rocky. He, he liked doing that he just with me so when I was standing there. And people would say, Is he mad at you? Or did you like that? That isn't he hurting you? And got, nah, you know, who cares? I got them back, I had squirt bottles, and I just kept sweating them down all day long. So uh,
0: <laughs> totally different personalities. God, that's interesting. So wild. Hey, Mackenzie, I have a question for you. Yeah. So when you found out how to carry on his legacy and the makeup that your dad had, and again, I know times change and maybe images change, did you take his makeup as a base and modify it or what? Because you said he was doing makeup back then. You're doing makeup right now. How different is it?
1: I took it more as an inspiration. And, and even down to things like my cousin, for example. She, she did all the makeup and, you know, they did the... I mean, she wasn't... that. She's was one of the people to do, and Dad, it was Candy, did uh, Baywatch and so it was things like that part of the family, and even Dad talking about having to cover De Niro's tattoo. That it was stories like that that inspired me to create the Body Coverage Perfector because that's something that will cover a tattoo, and it's waterproof, and it's sweatproof, and it lasts for four days. But it's, it, it's really like Jesus. ridiculous cover. That's why it's one. It wins the award every year for best body coverage because that's what it does. It covers bruises, tattoos. You name it, but the fact that it's waterproof, sweatproof, transfer proof, and lasts up to four days. I've had it last a week because I've gotten the application down to a T. Um, things like that. You know, it's that the family history really inspired everything you see in Westmore Beauty is an inspiration of the family legacy. Uh everything my dad did, you know, like he was saying with Shadow Edit. That really is a combination of taking all those color correctors and combining it so that you can cover up rosacea. You can cover up dark circles. You can cover up everything, red, blue. I mean, it's, it really is like a, a magic little pot.
2: Mm-hmm. And makeup also changed into the 60s. Panstick was the yeah. only thing everybody used. And then somebody got the bright idea. They started changing the film stock, making it more technical. And people started to use liquid base instead of grease base. Today, most everybody uses, I don't think anybody uses grease base anymore. It's basically the techn- uh, the the liquid bases. And that's what Mackenzie's was. In fact, her makeup was so, I want to say so sheer. You had color, but it was so sheer that on face-off, I wore it, especially on the backs of my hands, because I could put it on and, you know, buff buff it out. And it just was a little bit of color. I wasn't- Covers white. all the spots. I was, I was beige or tan, you know.
1: So, Dad, what advice do you have for up-and-coming artists?
2: Well, you know, this, um, you need to know what you're doing to begin with. And the way you learn is go to school and you have to practice, practice. I had an apprenticeship that went for three years, so I basically was practicing for three years. I spent six months on beauty, literally watching Sandra Dee get made Jesus. up every single day and bringing her coffee. Then I was out on my own. Uh, it was my first line to uh, kind of meet your mother. My first line was, will you marry me? And the second line was, why don't you come in in the morning and I'll do your makeup? It's a matter of practicing over and over. And when I did a Rocky Sly wanted me to only make him. And I said, no, I want to do Talia too. Cause I enjoyed, I enjoyed doing a beauty makeup, a good beauty makeup, as well as I did uh, gluing a nose or a monster together. But so it's, it's having to go to school and having to practice. A lot of people learn one time how to do something and they go, oh, I know how to do it. And then they go out and they, they do terrible jobs, you know, because of it. You've got to keep practicing on your friends. I even practiced on my mother uh, anywhere I could just to get the feel like of great. what it's like to put the makeup on the applicator, put it on the face and blend it out. As far as you know, rouge goes, eyeshadow, doing eyebrows. I mean, every single step on the face is a technique and it has to be learned proficiently how to do it. Mm-hmm. And so there are a few schools, but you got to be careful because there's there's areas, too, that want to charge you a lot of money. And the people that are teaching really aren't qualified makeup artists to really do it. So you have to look at where their background is from. It's the same way when a woman goes to a department store. Look at the lady that you're asking advice from. And if she looks like hell, run because he's going to tell you what the hell she's doing on herself, you know? So it's, uh, it's, you have to be schooled and you have to practice and then you have to volunteer. You can go to junior colleges and say, you know, at the stage productions or people have, which you can meet through combinations at colleges. They make small films and just to be able to volunteer to do the makeup on those small films, films just to get experience. One of the first jobs I had, which wasn't theatrical, it was I went to University of California, Santa Barbara. When I walked into the theater department when I was a senior, finally, and I told them who I was because I was going away on an apprenticeship, that they said, great, we're doing Three Penny Opera. I said, great, you can do the makeup. I had 32 people to make up every night for that.
1: Oh, my God. It started three Jeez. hours ahead
2: of time. The, the actors would come in.
1: I know you don't have social media, yeah. but I just want to let everybody listening, watching know that the makeup man on Amazon phenomenal book. That's my dad's book tells you all the stories, all the good, the bad, the ugly, (laughs) the dirty. So everybody go grab the makeup man on Amazon. But again, I know you don't have social media. I actually end up answering most of the questions people have for you on social media.
2: (laughs) I spent 14 years writing it. So I uh, when Star Trek started to finish up, I literally sat down with a pad of paper and a pencil and spent 14 years trying to think of stories. And I still have more of them that I forgot to put them in the book.
1: Daddy, thank you so much for joining us. This was fun.
0: Oh, boy. This has been something that, you know, hearing about this one, learning about makeup, hearing about you and your stories. I do want to actually read your book. Yeah. Because yes. Because it's, yeah, interesting. it's, a lot it's old Hollywood. I mean, it's new Hollywood. It's everything.
1: This was I mean, so this fun. Is,
0: Mackenzie, this <laughs> has been fun. What is what is your best Instagram for everyone?
1: My Instagram is M Westmore. That's also my TikTok. My Twitter is Mackenzie Westmore, no E. And then Facebook is Mackenzie Westmore.
0: I don't even, I'm brand new to TikTok. I got to figure out, I don't even know what my, uh, I think you're DR Paul at As-
1: NASAFMD. I think you are. Oh, there we go.
0: Well, <laughs> thank you for helping me. Well, listen, it was great having you.
1: Thank you, Dad. Uh, Mr.
0: Westmore. And I, I got to tell you, yeah. we got to have you on. We got to hear some more stories. That's funny. I'll, I'll send Mackenzie next time she's coming over. I'll send a oh, book with her. Oh, yes. I love that. I'm coming that. over okay. soon.
1: Yeah, I'll be seeing Dr. Nassif soon. So I'll grab a book and bring it. <laughs> all
0: right. We'll see you all next week.
1: Thank you, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Demystify Beauty, produced by Gotham Production Studios. If you have any questions for future episodes, please don't hesitate to reach out to us on Instagram at Demystify Beauty or email us at DemystifyBeauty at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. See you next time.